This. This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. And coming up on African News Tonight, UN experts are saying that South Sudan may be heading back into conflict and Britain is going to start relocating illegal Rwandan immigrants back to their homeland. These stories and more on African News Tonight. But first, our top story. In the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, the militant group known as Kodeko has attacked a displaced person's camp and killed at least 15 people. The group has carried out several raids recently, including one on Sunday that killed at least 35 on a nearby artisanal mining site and ignored a call for all armed militias in the region to begin peace talks with the government. Reporter Jafar Alkatanti in Goma tells VOA's Kate Pondawson that two factors drive the attack. The first is that Kodeko, which is mainly an ethnic Lendu group, has long fought ethnic Hema and Alur communities in the region. The other factor is the natural resources of the region. Militiamen from the Congo Development Authorities, known as Kodeko, attacked on the last night a mining site in Jugu territory, located in the Loza village, which is seven kilometers from the city of Fatachi. I understand that there were again a number of civilian deaths. According, according to Mr. Gedone Losa, who is the uh, Ituri Civil Society president, he say we have 15 people killed in a savage way. And this has just amplified the terror in the head of the inhabitants of Jugu people and surrounding. And according to himself, people start leaving the village of Loza and the city of Pataki as the camp was attacked and many people dead. There have been several attacks by Cote in the past several days. Are they, are they demanding something to stop the attacks? Is there a goal for these attacks? They say nothing and they don't talk even to journalists or to locals or the Congolese government since the last week. Uh, the Sunday's night attack, they attacked uh, Alur area and the last night attack, it's a Hema area. And you know, Kodeko as a Lendu group uh, attacking Hema and Alur, which are uh, Nilotics groups. They are fighting in a Minta ethnic war since the year 2000. So let's say it's the same kind of war continuing, but now they are also using a commercial view, a trading view of minerals because that territory is very rich in gold. So basically, it's a message to these ethnic groups, the Alu and the Hema, 
and at the same time, they're trying to take territory rich in resources, in gold particularly. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, the president of DRC called all militia to talk. Kodeko was one of those who didn't accept because they can't leave that area. They want to control the area. You know, that conflict has many dimensions. Uh, the local one is what we say uh, is an ethnic conflict. But it, there is a regional dimension, national dimension, and also the international one. As their bosses are outside in cities, the ones who are dealing with the gold they produce. So they don't want the government to control the zone because if government controls the zone, their bosses will not get gone. That's why Codeco do everything they want to, to, to produce more insecurity in the zone so that they will become the leader, the only one leader of the zone and will extract minerals and sell it to their bosses. That was Jafar uh, Al-Katanti, journalist in Goma. He spoke with my colleague, Kate Pound-Dawson. Britain today has informed the first group of illegal migrants with no right to stay in the United Kingdom that they will be transferred to Rwanda under its new immigration plan. The government came up with plans last month to send asylum seekers who enter Britain illegally to the Eastern African country. British Home Secretary Preta Patel said this is the first stage of the process and it will take time because some will seek to delay removals by lodging claims to stay. The first flights to transfer the immigrants are expected to take place in the coming months. Police in South Africa say crime syndicates steal thousands of kilometers of electricity cables every year, costing the country billions of rands to replace. Thieves steal the cables to extract valuable copper wiring. Cable theft is also worsening South Africa's electricity crisis, adding to the blackouts from the country's crumbling power grid. Darren Taylor has more. Corruption and mismanagement have almost bankrupted South Africa's national electricity company, ESCOM. As a result, it hasn't maintained power stations, which often break down. To ensure that some of the country has electricity some of the time, ESCOM often rations electricity in a process it calls load shedding. When this happens, large parts of South Africa are without power. That's when the cable thieves usually strike, says the official in charge of security for the city of Johannesburg, Michael Sun. The criminal syndicates are also smart, you know, they also look online at the load shedding schedule from ESCOM. Of course, you know, the ones that we publish from City Power. So they know exactly what time and where there won't be electricity. So it's easier and safer for them, in fact to chop up these cables and instill infrastructure. Otherwise, when there is electricity, they will go to the extent to damage the infrastructure, to cause an outage. 
so they can get to the infrastructure like fuses and underground cables so they can go and uh, steal those uh, copper cables out of the ground or wherever in, in substations. Sun says his council's committed to stopping cable theft and is forming a special metro police unit dedicated to it. The crime isn't being committed by a bunch of drug addicts selling copper wire for their next fix, as he puts it, but by highly sophisticated organized crime groups spread out across the region of southern Africa. Of course, there are the illegal smelters, the scrap metal dealers that uh, operate unlawfully. So there's a whole chain of syndication at work. This is why we need to relook at the security deployment not just within the city, but also to work with external players, such as your police services. Sun says the syndicates have expanded their operations in recent times. We see traffic lights being chopped down. We see streetlight poles being chopped down and dragged through the streets to be sold to scrapyard metals. He says criminals are literally stealing entire cities piece by piece. Sun wants the government to enforce the Second Hand Goods Act more stringently, to make it very difficult for the crime groups to sell their stolen property. So, you know, the South African police services would issue the uh, license for second-hand goods dealers. But after that, you know, not many of them are checked up on regularly, tightly monitoring the operations once the, the license has been issued. We then would certainly not close a lot of the loopholes. He says he also wants to correct the public perception that the cable thieves are lovable rogues, as he puts it stealing to put food on their families' tables. According to Sun, they're often armed with automatic rifles and other heavy weaponry and don't hesitate to shoot anyone who gets in their way. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. UN experts say many political leaders and civilians in South Sudan are deeply skeptical that a peace agreement signed in 2018 can deliver stability to the world's newest nation amid concerns that it may be heading back into conflict. The Associated Press, quoting a United Nations report that circulated yesterday, says, political disputes between former rivals now leading the government, President Salva Kiir and Vice President Riyak Mashar, have gridlocked much of the peace deal they signed. The report says almost every component of the peace agreement is now hostage to the political calculations of the country's military and security elites. There were high hopes when oil-rich South Sudan gained independence from Sudan in 2011 after a long conflict. But the country slid into civil war in December 2013, largely based on ethnic divisions when forces loyal to Kir battled those loyal to Mashar. Tens of thousands of people were killed in the war, which ended with the 2018 peace agreement that brought Kir and Mashar together in a government of national unity. But challenges remained, including the government's failure to implement promised reforms. Tens of thousands of civilians have been displaced in serious human rights abuses, including sexual and gender-based violence, have become a tragic hallmark of the conflict in South Sudan, according to the UN report. 
The report further adds that there is a prevailing mood of frustration, mistrust and disillusionment in South Sudan with a political process held hostage to elite interests while increasingly detached from the lives of ordinary people. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has raised food production concerns in countries that depend on the region's exports of fertilizers, such as Ghana. To cope with the shortage, Ghanaian authorities are urging farmers to use locally produced chicken droppings and composite instead as fertilizers. For VOA, Sananu Tord reports from Abukrom, Ghana. Cocoa farmer Grace Ayer says her plants have started to bear fruit and need fertilizer to ensure their growth. But Russia's invasion of Ukraine has led to a shortage of fertilizer, and compared to last year, the price is five times higher. She says the rains have started, and it is the right time to apply fertilizer. But farmers do not have access to any from the government or even from the market. They have heard that in the past some farmers used chicken droppings as fertilizer, and they got good yields. So they have decided to give it a try, Aye added. Russia is one of the world's top exporters of fertilizers and other related products, and the main supplier to Ghana, the world's second biggest cocoa exporter. Record sanctions over Russia's invasion are making imports virtually impossible. Fifi Boafu of Ghana Cocoa Board says everyone expects fertilizer prices to keep going up. So what Cocoa Board is doing presently is introducing the farmers to poultry manure as a substitute to the uh, fertilizer which we procure on the market. And it is our belief that this will be able to ameliorate the problem or the challenge, the availability and the price issue will have on our industry. The board says chicken droppings are high in nutrients and better for nature. It is scientifically proven that the poultry manure is a good substitute for the fertilizers. And this is uh, organic. So if you have a substitute, why wait until you are hit the hardest... Deputy Agriculture Minister Yalfrempon Ado says compost sites are being built across the country to ease worries about the fertilizer shortage. Everywhere there is this uh, compost site. Once that one comes on stream, uh, and that one is basically organic fertilizer, so we, we are going to see how we can combine the inorganic, just small of the inorganic with the organic, and then we are good to go. And that is, that is the way to go for, for us as a country. The United Nations says Russia's war on Ukraine, a top global supplier of wheat, is pushing up prices and threatening food security. The International Monetary Fund says poor countries in sub-Saharan Africa still recovering from the COVID pandemic are being hit hardest. Ghana's Agriculture Ministry says it is confident a shift to organic fertilizers can help prevent a food crisis and might be environmentally friendly in the long run. Sena Anutod for VOA News, Ebukrom, Ghana. You're 
You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. The International Monetary Fund's executive board yesterday approved a three-year, $456 million extended credit for Mozambique with about $91 million available for immediate disbursement. According to a Reuters report, the IMF stopped dealing with Mozambique six years ago after the revelation of the hidden debt scandal in which the government took out $2 billion in loans that it concealed from Parliament, the public, and other lenders. The current credit line agreement marks Mozambique's return to good graces with the IMF. The IMF said the new three-year arrangement will help support Mozambique's economic recovery and policies to reduce public debt and financing vulnerabilities while creating space for public investments in human capital, climate adaptation, and infrastructure. The IMF said the program will support a reform agenda centered on establishing a sovereign wealth fund to manage the country's liquefied natural gas wealth, mobilizing tax revenue, and strengthening public finances. Relatives of scores of Nigerians who were abducted by gunmen in an attack on a train in Kaduna State in late March are accusing authorities of not doing enough to rescue them. Nigerian Railway Corporation says more than 160 people have been missing since the attack. For VOA, Timothy Obiezu reports from Kaduna, Nigeria. While battling for life on a hospital bed with metal orthopedic rods fixed in her legs to correct fractures, Fatima Abubakar is also reeling from a tragedy that struck her family the night of March 28. That's when bandits blew up train tracks, stopping a train that her daughter Aisha Omar was on. Then they opened fire on the passengers scrambling to safety. Eight people were killed that night and scores others abducted, including Omar, who, Abubakar says, left five children behind. They used to come and see me and cry. And what can we do? I said, what can I do? I'm here with my leg on the bed. I cannot even step down. She's the one looking after me, and now she's not around. Omar was returning to Kaduna after visiting an Abuja hospital where Abubakar had undergone three surgeries on her legs. She had fractured them in an automobile accident. Nigerian Railway Corporation said 168 people who were on the train during the attack were still unaccounted for. So far, the kidnappers have freed two of the abductees, including a director of the government-owned Bank of Agriculture. The families of victims and some security experts say the attack bears the hallmark of Boko Haram, an Islamic militant sect operating mainly in the northeast. Up to now, the government has not done anything. We have not heard from the government. Nigerian authorities say they are negotiating the unconditional release of the abductees, but families of victims have accused authorities of negligence. Authorities say they cannot disclose details of the steps they're taking to families of the victims so as not to jeopardize the process. Last month, they protested in Abuja demanding the release of their loved ones. Founder of Security Watch Africa Initiatives, Patrick Agbambu, says the terrorists are trying to pressure the government into exchanging the abductees for some of their men captured by authorities.
what they want. Some of their top commanders are being held by the government and all that. So they want to use this as a ransom, maybe to get their members released and to draw attention. Armed gangs have been spreading terror across northern Nigeria for years, killing and kidnapping for ransom. Last Thursday, terrorists sparked outrage after they released the picture of a newborn baby delivered by one of the abductees. Security analyst Kabira Damo of Beacon Consulting says authorities have not been proactive. We know security agencies are making effort. Uh, they are negotiating the release of these abducted victims. And it's very likely that in the coming days they are in that regard. But there hasn't been any cogent approach in managing the distress that is being suffered by the families as well as by the victims themselves. Back at home, members of Abubakar's family are uncertain about the future. Umar's sister, Nafisat Ibrahim, says they cancelled their Ramadan celebration plans. When you think of celebrating, when you think of your loved ones in that situation, nothing, come, not, nothing is worth celebrating anymore. Last week, the Nigerian Senate passed a bill to criminalize ransom payments and punish offenders by up to 15 years in prison. It also calls for the death penalty if a kidnapping leads to a loss of life. The bill will become law when signed by President Muhammadu Buhari. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Kaduna State, Nigeria. You have been listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America, live from Studio 22, right here in Washington, D.C. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbil Yabaro, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello. I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. 
Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. The Basketball Africa League is back. Voice of America joins forces with Africa's Premier Men's Basketball League to bring you the second season of the BAL. It is game on March 5th, 2022. 38 games, 12 teams leaving it all on the court in Senegal, Egypt and Rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion. Tune in to VOA 24-7, FMs and to our radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game, play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022 on Voice of America. May the best team win.